Welcome to the Global Band Room, a podcast that brings you stories, news and great guests from across the world of wind, brass, marching band and drum corps. My name is Keith Kelly and I'm a band director from the west coast of Ireland. Each episode I sit down with band musicians and directors from across the world to talk about their stories, their bands and how they're making an impact on their communities. Before we start, you can find out more about the podcast and the people and stories that we feature over at globalbandroom.com and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Global Bandroom. And now on with the show. So there's really only one item in the news segment this week. Any of you that follow me on social media might have seen that I have recently launched a new phase in my partnership with Kaleidoscope Adventures. Previously, Kaleidoscope have been co-sponsors of this podcast, as well as being sponsors of other great music podcasts such as After Sectionals and the Everything Band podcast with Mark Connor. Well, I'm really excited to say that Kaleidoscope have taken the next step to support my work and have made me a member of their team. With one of my main goals being to continue to grow and expand this very podcast and all of the other podcasts and documentaries. Now, does this mean that I'm suddenly going to be selling destinations and travel a lot more on the show? Absolutely not. The focus of these podcasts over the last year has always been to connect bands and band people around the world and shine a light on all the variations of the activity within this thing we call band. That's not going to change. What it does mean is that I can now invest more of my time in creating those connections, finding interesting and unique band subcultures, and helping to tell people's stories. With Kaleidoscope's help, I won't have to load up the podcasts with multiple advertisements, and I won't have to ask for the support of the listeners. Now, there's plenty of great podcasts out there. Today's guests, Dylan and Kate from the Band Room podcast, being a great example, that absolutely deserve the support of their listeners through Patreon and other donations. So if you're in a position to support someone, please do, or make a donation to your local band. But thankfully, I won't need to be asking for that support in the near future. Having said all of that, the way that you can support the show is to connect with me and consider working with me and the Kaleidoscope team on your next band tour. We work with groups all over the USA and internationally, and the team has a deep knowledge of both the music and travel industries, and an extensive international reach. My goal with the Global Band Room has been, and will continue to be, to establish connections between musicians around the world. And when you're ready to make those connections a reality, Kaleidoscope Adventures is there to help you take the next step. And now over to our interview with Dylan and Kate from the Band Room Podcast. Well, I am delighted to be joined from one band room to another band room today with the uh, hosts, the co-hosts of the Band Room Podcast. I have Dylan Rook-Maddox and Kate Nishimura joining me today. Uh, Guys, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, so for anyone that doesn't know uh, about the two band room podcast, you guys uh, and Dylan in particular, you you are going longer than me. Um, and uh, when I when I found out that there was a podcast already called the band room podcast, I was heartbroken because I had already named my Facebook group at that point. Oh, <laughs> my apologies. I'm sorry. 
That's okay. That's okay. And uh, it was it was very funny. You had a, a friend reach out to you recently on Instagram, uh, pointing yep. out that we both had band room podcasts, we both wore glasses, we both had beards, and we both were gone kind of gray too. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe we can share that that uh, side by side. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, so, tell me a little bit about the um, about why you started the podcast, Dylan, because that. You know, we're living in 2021 now. Everybody has a podcast. Uh, and uh, and obviously, you know, over the last 12 months, there's been an explosion of people, mm-hmm. uh, particularly probably in our industry and community, starting podcasts. Uh, but you've been going quite a bit of time before that. So what was the reasoning and rationale behind starting the, the show? Um, well, I'll try to make it as quick as possible, the history of the Bandroom podcast. Um, but uh, before I was in my current position as, as a music educator, um, fully i w- i worked mainly as a freelance trumpet player and freelance conductor in in toronto canada and um and just you know going um gig to gig so to speak and there was there was a time where uh, the gigs to gigs weren't coming so much and uh, i was inspired by unemployment um <laughs> <laughs> to do something i had a little bit more time and and uh and i really loved um band music of course and i love talking about it um and I always, I always thought about the idea of of going into radio, and um, it and the, specifically one show in particular um, in in Canada we have the, the Canadian Broadcasting, um, the CBC, uh, and uh, there's this gentleman Tom Allen who hosts this show called Shift, and he he plays music and he just shares little stories about you know the music before he plays it, and he makes it sound fun, it's accessible. Um, so I really wanted to do something like that, and uh, every summer I would listen to this guy on my way to work playing with the confederation brass quintet and i was like i want to do that and then just so happens um small world that um tom actually became a friend of mine because he's married to a harpist i'm married to a professional harpist as well we get dragged to these events together so i was picking his brain about getting into radio and him and this um, cbc producer david yeager talked about no the future is podcasts so they're the ones who who and pushed me to start the podcast rather than trying to do something else. So yeah, it was just me picking music. Uh, that first season is just me talk, playing music, talking about it. Um, you know, it might be, it, it tended to be a little bit Canadian uh, rep heavy because, you know, that's where I am. That's what I love to talk about. Um, but it was that. And um, it was kind of the first iteration. Uh, then I ended up getting a job here at Cambrian College as a professor uh, realizing I don't have time to do it. So that was in 2017. I started that. I took a year off from doing it. Once I got through the initiation of fire uh, in my teaching position, <laughs> um, I ended up um, going back in and um, switching formats to an interview format, much like what you do here in the global band room. And um, my first official guest was some hack of a composer. My gosh. <laughs> Uh, I think her, I think her name was Kate Nishimura, or something like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so uh, Kate joined me as my first uh, official guest. Before that, um, Dr. Julian McKay on my little handheld recorder. Um, but yeah, and then since then, I've been able to to listen to a lot of my colleagues, and that was inspired by uh, me starting to adjudicate and you know going to the hangs after the festival. We would have. Uh, apple juice, of course, and other beverages. Um, uh, and the stories would be flying. And I noticed that a lot of my colleagues were being uh, 
you know, relatively vulnerable with me <laughs> and sharing stuff they might not share often. And I was thinking that people need to hear these stories and people need to be able to, to learn from these experiences um, to a certain extent. There's some stuff that can't be shared, obviously. <laughs> but um, so that's what kind of inspired its current format. And there's other things that we can talk about where it's going and, and its current kind of mandate. But but yeah, so now we're in our third season um, I think the seasons aren't really... So, and when you're talking about seasons, you're talking sort of like iterations, uh, yeah. sort of what the podcast looks like. So, I mean, that brings us nicely on to um, sort of the most recent big change to the podcast, which is obviously the introduction of, of Kate Nishimura. And uh, Kate, I'm delighted to be able to ch- chat to you as well today. Um, uh, you know, both of you deserve your own shows on this, but I, th- I just thought it would be so... <laughs> amazing to actually speak to both of you today and kind of talk about that relationship and what you're doing together um but Kate is an incredibly well-known composer Canadian composer of wind band music uh and uh, I'm delighted to have you here today Kate can you tell me a little bit about uh sort of um uh, your your rationale behind getting involved with talking on the podcast uh, and getting involved on a regular basis on the podcast because I'm sure um, I'm sure it's a busy time for you both between composition and all of this uh, uh, flexible band music as well so to take mm-hmm. on a podcast at, at this moment might be a might, might be a, a, a difficulty yeah for sure I um well I I'm happy that I was able to be a guest on the band room podcast uh, a couple times once in a formal episode setting and once last summer with the brp live facebook live series and you know i just loved talking to dylan so much that i wanted to do it on a regular basis (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm only partially kidding I, i that is the truth um but also it it has become increasingly important to me this year especially throughout the pandemic that I stay as connected as possible with the community that I wish that I that I wish to serve and work with, right? And so because of not having the option to go and work with bands and visit school groups in person and things like that, I thought um, you know, getting to have these amazing conversations with different kinds of guests within the band community would be a really good way to stay engaged and stay current as to what's going on and what people are looking for in new music and things like that. So some of it was was somewhat for selfish reasons, wanting to stay connected and inspired and things like that. Um, but I really just see that there's so much potential in in what Dylan had set up with this podcast. And my friends and family have always sort of half joked that I would be a good uh, radio host or podcast host or something like that. And as you mentioned, with all the projects that I have on the go, I don't think I ever would have been in a position to start something from scratch myself. But knowing that something existed already, a Canadian band-centric podcast existed already with one of my greatest friends as the host. So that seemed like just a perfect scenario. And uh, I mean, maybe Dylan can tell the story, but I think he had a dream where we were co-hosts and he sent me a message about this and I laughed. (laughs) And then I thought, you know what, though, that would actually be pretty great. (laughs) And and here we are. It is pretty great. (laughs) That dream actually happened, Dylan? Yeah, I'm not kidding. 
no matter what you believe, I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but um, but I did. I literally had a dream that I that Kate and I were hosting the band room and we were interviewing guests. And I just remember, you know, you know, this is great that we get to talk to another podcaster. Uh, but you know, coming up with the questions, doing the research, it's always been so laborious, and then editing all that stuff. But now I have someone to share the pain with, so that's great. Um, but I had this dream where it was just so smooth, and and there was no there was no awkward breaks. Uh, we were bouncing off each other. It was great. Um, so then I, I remember uh, going to her about the idea, and um, and we both, we both kind of just laughed about <laughs> laughed about it. But then uh, as time went on. Uh, a little voice in the back of my head said, Dylan, you, you like, you need help. <laughs> you need help. You're only getting busier um, th- for this to take its next phase where you, you want it to go. You should ask for help. So I began thinking of, uh, of people that, um, first of all, you know, someone that I can talk to for hours upon hours about nothing um, was a very important thing. Uh, I'm a conductor um, and performer. So maybe someone who's not that, um, someone who's connected in the band field um, equally or if not more connected <laughs> than I am was an important thing. Um, and then also the idea, uh, and we, we can talk about this more, but the idea of of making sure that uh, a, ba- a podcast like the, the Band Room, which is, you know, one of the few in, in our country um, that uh, every province, there's someone from every province that listens to it. So making sure that everyone can see themselves in the podcast was something that was very important to me. So, you know, having, having someone who's female was probably a great idea to to have as well. Um, Just so it's not just my perspective. And then I think most importantly, having someone to call me out (laughs) and and to just put me in check. I'm like, man, that idea is kind of dumb. Maybe. (laughs) I've never said that. (laughs) I'm waiting for the much kinder than that. Yeah. But anyway, so, so those are the kind of ideas. And then I put it out to Facebook just as a joke to see. I'm like, I need a co-host. And everyone was like, can you smore? Can you smore? Can you smore? Can you smore? I'm like, look at this, Kate. It's meant to be. It was so, everyone else's idea. Yeah. So I blame our audience. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't Dylan's idea at all, Kate. No. It, was, it was everyone else's idea. <laughs> well, well, we knew right away that we had the support from the community. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I want to get into kind of talking a little bit more about podcasting over this episode because I, I don't get a, an opportunity to talk to many other podcasters. I think we've had Tim Hinton on the show from the Marching Roundtable before, mm-hmm. uh, but that's a, about it, really. Um, so I do want to kind of talk about podcasts and how we can sort of uh, use those podcasts and those platforms to help our, our community and our and our industry a little bit more. Uh, but first, I am very conscious that normally at this stage on any of my shows, I normally talk about the origin story, you know, you know, like all of our shows do. Uh, but rather than me do that today, I thought it might be actually fun to have the two of you talk about each other. You know, your co-hosts, <laughs> you talk to each other every single week. Dylan, you're just after saying you talk for hours to each other without uh, having any real uh, goal <laughs> to the conversation. Uh, so you must know everything about each other at this point. Oh, so maybe, Dylan, would you maybe tell us a little bit about uh, Kate and, <laughs> this is fun. and her this journey? This going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what what can Dylan's mind retain? Uh, let's. Um, but yeah, this uh, wonderful person. I almost said sitting across from me, um, but uh, is Kenny Shmara. Kenny Shmara is a uh, wonderful person, and also uh, one of Canada's most beloved band and well, composers in general. Um, self-published, of course. But um, her, <laughs> this is hmm hmm. Where to go? Her origin stories begin in Ontario, Canada. <laughs> Uh, in a little place called Scarborough, which is just outside of uh, Toronto. 
but um, but long story short, <laughs> um, Kate spent her beginning years as a as a clarinetist, and finding her yeah there you go there you go <laughs> I forgot Keith you're a clarinetist as well this is exciting, um, <laughs> um, but uh, ultimately found true love in the bass clarinet. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is an important thing to note um, for those of you that are doing Kate's music. You need to check out those bass clarinet parts because they're good. They're great. Um, but yeah, so there was those kind of things. And then uh, exploring a, a world of music education at the University of Toronto and, and doing her uh, degree there uh, and and then realizing and exploring uh, the compositional process and how, how important that was to her. And even, I don't know if it, well, it's, you're well documented, Kate, but um, yeah. began a career as a teacher and was teaching and and realized that hey this composition thing i'm going to give it a full-time go uh, through the you know well, it wasn't it was a conversation with uh, our friend pete meekin yes also been on this podcast right yes he has yeah. yeah yeah um so and and pete kind of saying hey why don't we why not we why don't you go for it kind of thing yeah. uh, and then the rest is history you know uh, mm-hmm. chasing sunlight it, with the it was a howard cable award-winning piece and that's a, an award here in canada through the canadian band association for composition and that kind of launched uh launched her very successful career that is still being very successful and then she <laughs> met this amazing person named bill maddox and uh <laughs> no no but anyway but in a nutshell professionally I think that does that does that explain? Yeah, it thanks, Dylan. I think that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was just, I was going to ask. Uh, marks out of ten for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Judge says uh, I don't know. I'm going to give you like a nine out of ten for that. Okay. That's what would have I don't know. Okay. Um, I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's. I I I hesitate to ever give a perfect score to anybody. I am a true. Uh, mm teacher yeah. in that sense always room for improvement you know i think i think the tent mark would have would have been if you could tell kate stuff about her that she doesn't even know herself there it is yeah yeah that's, that's the tent mark there's lots i could share but i, I won't well thank you for that <laughs> well kate now it's your go uh you know let's let's find out a little bit a little bit more about dylan all right well my wonderful co-host and friend dylan maddox uh got his start in music in the wonderful province of Prince Edward Island, Summerside, PEI. Did I get that right? Yes, that is right. Yes. <laughs> and uh, playing playing the trumpet. And I don't know too much about what happened in between when, when that all happened and, and when we met in Toronto, Ontario. Um, but I do know there was there was some early dreaming going on about being a conductor, being a musician based off of um, some early inspirations, seeing some, some live performances and things like that. And uh, we met uh, at the university of Toronto uh, when Dylan was doing his masters there with Dr. Gillian McKay. We are both big fans of her and her work. And uh, Dylan has done some freelance conducting and trumpet playing and is now professor of music at Cambrian College in Sudbury, Ontario, and also teaches at Laurentian University up there. But big changes are ahead because he's going to be moving to Arizona uh, this summer to pursue his DMA in wind band conducting which is very exciting i'm super proud of him and excited to see where that goes and the podcast the band room podcast is going to be a central point of his research and and focus 
throughout that degree. So I'm really excited to see where that takes him and and us now that I'm a part of this project as well. Amazing. Did I do did, it? Did how I did you do? Uh, you know what? I'm going to, I'll one up you. 9.5. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> that's pretty good. Even though you skipped, you know, you skipped the, the beginning, but that's okay. I know, but I didn't know you then. And I'm not, <laughs> you've had the opportunity to interview me a couple of times and I actually have never interviewed you. So well, maybe, maybe this is what we've learned today is that that's, that's the step that needs to happen. <laughs> that's a, that's a future bonus episode there. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that one. So Kate, maybe I want to, I want to get started with you and talk a little bit about your uh, background mm -hmm. as a music educator and how it lends itself to uh, your compositional works then as well. Your, your, your works are very popular with middle school and high school bands. And uh, I know they're performed at Midwest uh, quite regularly. Uh, do you feel that that time as a music educator has, um, has inspired how you write music and, and the audience that you write for at all? Yeah, so I really think that most of uh, the experience and knowledge that I draw on when I'm composing, especially when I'm composing for young band, uh, is is everything that I learned as a music education student and as a teacher and just education-minded person in general. Um, I have actually never studied composition in a formal way. Lots of self-directed learning, but never any formal studies. So I really do feel that my firsthand experience in front of bands really helps me to uh, to know where to set my expectations when I'm writing a new work. Um, my experience playing in ensembles myself also helps because not only do I have the, the perspective of you know, the student on the bass clarinet, as Dylan mentioned, that's my favorite instrument to play. Um, but I also, because of, of being a teacher and studying music ed, I had to learn all of the other uh, wind, brass, strings, percussion instruments as part of my studies. And now when I'm writing music for all of those in different instruments that I don't play necessarily very well myself, I do have at least a foundation of knowledge about how those instruments work and what is comfortable or awkward on any given instrument. And so being able to have that information in my mind and in, in my body too, to be able to imagine the music actually being played by other people. Um, you know, I, I think that that perspective definitely helps. And in terms of the musical content as well, I know kind of where that sweet spot is of, of uh, engaging specifically with younger students uh, so that it's exciting and new and fresh, uh, but not, not challenging them so much that it's too hard or inaccessible. Finding that, that sweet spot is something that I think comes naturally to me because of my experience in the field. You know, I, I often talk to, and I talked to Jody Blackshaw about this before as well, about um, writing mature content that isn't too difficult. And yeah. I think for years, junior band music, um, we have a lot of bands here in Europe that play junior band music and, and that's what they play. And, and they have people of all ages in those bands, but they're at a grade one, grade two level. But they're very qualified people. They're doctors or they're accountants or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it is that they, they're doing in their lives. And they want to play mature, challenging, emotionally music. 
And I think your music does that a lot of the time. It, it, it's not condescending either to the young person that's playing it or just to the, the amateur musician that's playing mm-hmm. it. Is, is that something that you set out with an intention to do or is that just how your music has sort of found itself on the page? I think maybe it's a little bit of both. Uh, I also have enjoyed playing in community bands for much of my adult life and and even student life. I was I was playing in adult community bands when I was in high school just to get extra ensemble experience and try out secondary instruments and things like that. So I again I know what it's like to be in their in their chairs, you know. And uh, I think some of it maybe just comes naturally because of that. But I, I do intentionally set out to create music that speaks to everybody, at least in some way. So if there's a piece that has maybe more of a mature theme in terms of, uh, you know, an, an aspect of humanity or preserving the environment or something like that, that can lead to really in-depth conversations with more mature groups. But it's also an entry point for less experienced uh, ensembles to to start to explore some of those kinds of bigger concepts through music, um, and and the music speaks for itself. If if people don't want to go symbolic at all, if they don't want to dive deep into any of that whatsoever, the music itself is, I think, engaging enough that there's there's kind of something in it for everybody. So I do I think I do that part of it intentionally. There are kind of tears that you can uh, interact with my music, the bass level, you know, and then you can dig deeper and then you can get really, really deep and and analyze it and things like that. There are so many layers, I think, to everything that I do. So that is intentional. Um, and I'm really glad that that it comes across that way and that it resonates with a lot of people. Can I mention a real, a real life example? Of course. Uh, because I always joke that if I wasn't going to do a dissertation in some form of a podcast or whatever, it would be in the music of Kate Nishimura. <laughs> every year, every semester, I'm doing a piece of Kate's. But we're doing Into the Blue right now, which is, what would you say? Is that a grade two? Yeah. Grade, yeah. So yeah. it's pretty. it's a pretty easy piece. And it's the adaptable version. So there's only four parts. Um, mm-hmm. But even within that simple music and i use air quotes for that um there is there's every rehearsal i have stuff i can dive in on and we joked about it at the beginning about kate writing for the bass clarinet but in that part four that bass part gets a wonderful opportunity to play guess what folks a phrase can you imagine that (laughs) yeah so they uh, you know the, the the bass player the tuba player the bass clarinet player the bassoon player gets a chance to express what's inside of them just for a brief moment, even, Amazing. But, but still revolutionary. Yeah, <laughs> the opportunity to, to play something more than whole notes, more than offbeats, mm-hmm. and to you know be the artist that they are, not the student that they are, or the harmony machine or the rhythm machine that they are. But so that that's what I really enjoy about Kate's music in like in a very specific like real life example that we're what we're doing right now. We're going to record it today, actually. That's exciting. So tell me a little bit about uh, band in Canada. And uh, Kate, you were mentioning that you play in some community bands there. And and I think the um, notion that we get here sometimes is that all bands in North America as a whole, and I'm putting Canada and the US together on this, are all high school and college bands. And that really sort of community band isn't a big thing uh, over there at all. Am I am I anywhere close to the mark on that? Or is it that just not, 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 not true at all? Hmm. Do you want me to Dylan, take do you want to maybe take take that one? <laughs> yeah, you can start. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and I, it's funny. I, I was telling Kate yesterday, I'm like, 
because we we asked a you know a similar we asked a similar question to Rob Taylor a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, about comparing you know studying and teaching in the states and and studying teaching in Canada, mm-hmm. and he he made the point not to be careful not to overgeneralize because I think anything that I'm probably going to say is you know it's it's based in my experience in half of the country not right not mm-hmm. uh, in the west is very different and even with, within each province curriculum wise school wise it's very different um but certainly i know uh, through listening to your podcast i know it's very community band based and when it comes to uh, education uh, right. music education in, in the band form um and i think in canada we're very lucky to have strong for the most part having strong band programs um, uh, it's in Ontario and where I'm from, Prince Edward Island and well, ba- almost in all the maritime provinces, it's, it's quite strong. Uh, and then certainly the universities, we all have bands and all that. Um, strangely enough, at least where I'm from, orchestras are not uh, a big thing in, in education. Um, so that, that's, I think marching band also is not really a thing. I know you had, uh, the gentleman from the Calgary Stampede recently. Ryan Hancock. Yeah. Yeah. And John Phillips is another example of, you know, someone who's from Canada that is, has a very strong uh, hold within DCI and, and marching mm-hmm. band. Um, but yeah, so we, we don't have that kind of culture um, going on marching band wise, but certainly I think community band wise, uh, especially where Kate and I lived uh, in, the, in the greater Toronto area, it's very, very strong. And, and I was on the board for the CBA Ontario, which is the community band association in our province and and there's a lot of really strong community band programs um almost you can any any city that you go to any little town has has Mm -hmm. some form of a band um and um and that's certainly where i started my career as a conductor was conducting the milton concert band and and the northdale concert band in toronto um so and they and quite a a vast history too Uh, i know the new market concert band is canada's oldest band and it they, they have scores and manuscripts from like the 1800s yeah. Uh, so yeah so in some ways it, it's it's uh it, we have a, a i think maybe i i'm being biased but uh the best of both worlds <laughs> um, so is there an educational aspect to the community band uh, what does a community band look like because we talk about community bands and here that just means something very different to yeah. a community mm-hmm. band in the u.s for instance that you know part of the acb or something like that um is there a little bit of an educational aspect to a community band for the most part and i know i yeah i don't want you to overgeneralize yeah. of course but <laughs> Uh, I would say, well, from my experience, um, I've had a lot of people like, I'm here for fun. And, you know, this is my night off. I want to come here. Don't teach me how to play a forte piano crescendo or play, <laughs> play this chord and tune. Dang it. So I have to, I had to, I would always have to kind of sneak, <laughs> sneak lessons in. Um, so that, from my experience anyway, um, but the certainly, uh, and I've talked about this before, but uh, some of the most passionate musicians that I've ever met, the most dedicated musicians I've ever gotten to work with have been community band people. Um, and it's not, <clears throat> so yeah, I would say that the um, education wise, it's, it's probably not, it doesn't hold as uh, strong a, a, a place as it does in, in, in Ireland or, or uh, in other maybe European countries, but, um, but yeah, so it is certainly leaning on the community side of it, of a community. Yeah. Band. There are, there are some, ensembles some bands that maybe we wouldn't call them community bands but they're also not school bands uh, i'm yeah. thinking of organizations like the toronto youth wind orchestra we call taiwo um 
which is, you know, not, not a community band, but it's also not affiliated with a school or an institution or anything like that. It's an auditioned ensemble that is, you know, students can, can choose to participate. And I know that that's not unique uh, just to Toronto. There are, there are other organizations like that. I know in the States as well, because I've worked with a couple, you know, the Minnesota Junior Wins is an example of that, where they, they're sort of, I think they call them enrichment bands or something like that, where it's, it, it is meant for students to participate in outside of school. So mm-hmm. I think there is a little bit more intentional education stuff happening in those kinds of groups compared to what we might actually designate as a community band, which is primarily adults, uh, you know, music teachers who want to keep up their chops or uh, students who have decided to pursue other areas of study. You know, they're they're studying engineering or something like that, but they really liked playing in their school band. So they want to keep it up. Uh, And I think in those cases, not to generalize too much, but, you know, I, I think it is mostly people participating because they want to be there. They want to do something that is not the same as whatever they do during the day, working or schooling or, or whatever it is. Um, and I haven't been a conductor of a community band, but as a participant, I know certainly there are lots of people around uh, me in the ensemble that would would really not like to be told what to do and they're just there because they want to have fun and there are other people in there who want to learn who want to be pushed and want to be challenged right so it's i think community band conductors here have a little bit of a challenge sometimes finding the balance between appeasing the people who just want to play through things they already know and still engaging with the people who are there because they want to do something different and they want to do something new that's it's my like, um, assessment. <laughs> it's it's like hiding your veg hiding vegetables in a, in a child's, in your macaroni uh, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? I like how you, you sneak a music lesson in. I like that, yes. Dylan. <laughs> yeah. I'm like a ninja. <laughs> uh, but you will, yeah. We find the same here. You know, where community bands will will grow despite themselves sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe yeah exactly. Because they have a good director in place that's kind mm-hmm. of as a long-term plan for, for, for that group. Um, uh, but uh, is the ABRSM, the Associated Board of the Royal School of Music, are those exams popular at all in Canada? I know they are quite a lot around the Commonwealth. Um, and they are here in Ireland as well, very popular here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that type of uh, graded system for individual players, would that be um, present? Yeah, it's 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 present and it's interesting. I I talk about this with my colleagues quite a bit. One well, my wind colleagues specifically. So it, here we have the Royal Conservatory of Music, um, which is just across this, the path from uh, the University of Toronto. Um, so they they have that graded system all the way up to grade ten, and then after grade ten is uh, ARCT. So it's an artist diploma of sorts. Um, so we have that, and what I've found um, through you know adjudicating at little festivals that have so you know so low performances and things is that it's it's just it's not as it doesn't have a stronghold in in wind culture i find so especially brass players we have it like i have all the books right right here on my desk that i use with my students um but it certainly isn't i like i i'm not a product of of someone who's gone through it mm-hmm. um, yeah neither am i yeah I mean, I, I did it with, with piano, I think, yeah. right? Like the, I think a lot of people kind of do those exams to get pro- piano proficiency or, or strings or that kind of thing, but not so much theory in well. band theory. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And, but yeah. And then, uh, and I, I guess the flute and clarinet often, you might see them going through it a, a bit more, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't really within the school 
uh, public school system and or university, it, we're not really using too much of the graded system. Mm. I, I use it just as somewhere to a start, a starting point. So mm. if I'm looking for music for a clarinetist or a saxophone student, whatever it is, I might just go there to, to get a better idea of where I can go from. So if I was an adult beginner in in Canada, where would the best place for me to go be? Would a, would a community band be open to me? Would it be a school of music? Um, and what would the, again, I'm, I'm aware of generalizations, but mm. what would the process be best case scenario for an adult beginner like that um i don't i won't can't you jump in if, if i if i keep stealing <laughs> questions um but certainly a lot of the provinces here we have um uh, what's called a new horizon program mm-hmm. um so it's uh you know it's it's maybe people who played in high school but now they're 40 something and i haven't played in 20 years or whatever it is and <laughs> they want to come back um so they could do that and also like you're saying a, a just a straight up beginner. This is a really great place that is, you know, it's a safe place for you to um, be that vulnerable student again (laughs) and be willing to make funny sounds in your instrument at the beginning. (laughs) Um, So there's numerous uh, programs like that. Um, I think like in in Cape Breton, there's one, what's this, is it called? It's not Second Chances, it's Second Chances. It is called Second Chances. (laughs) Second Chances? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was at the, I was a guest for their community band festival a number of years ago. And uh, they have like a beginner band in that festival. And, you know, there's that. Yeah. And they are adult beginners. Like, and, you know, you mentioned Dylan, people being 40 years old, they haven't played in 20 years. Sometimes it's even double that. Sometimes it's, it's people in their (laughs) seventies or eighties. You know, I, I wrote a piece for a new horizons band actually. And uh, their principal clarinetist was like 80 something and had been playing in the band since it started never you know pursued music professionally um but just really loved doing something different with a group of people that were like-minded and you know so i think there are definitely options like that that exist where it's a normal thing for an adult to be brand new at something there are community bands where they play at a little bit of a higher level but i th- i think it's it's kind of they make it known, you know, we're open to everybody or we play at about this, this level of music and, and that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. So Kate, as a composer in Canada, because composition is sort of a, a global um, market really, isn't it? Like you're selling PDFs, you're self-published. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there any differences between being a composer in Canada and the type of commissions that you'd be seeking and the type of groups that do commission in Canada? Um or are you just um, sort of working on more of a global scale and, and working within the U.S. predominantly, where I suppose most wind band composers probably are working? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm very grateful to have had performances of my music from all over the world, but most of the work that I do is relatively local to North America. Um, every once in a while, an international school somebody will contact me and say, just so you know, you know, we've programmed one of your pieces in case it hasn't been performed in this country yet or this, uh, you know. So I think those kinds of things are exciting, but but most of the work that I do, yeah, is, is um, from the United States, actually, more so than in Canada. There are way more American band composers than there are Canadian band composers. I am hoping that that will change over time. I'm, I'm hoping to pave a clearer path to this uh, profession, you know, for, for more Canadian band folks. <laughs> um, 
Is there a culture of commissioning within Canada? Because I've spoke, I spoke to Vincent Kennedy on the Repertoire Roundtable um, uh, Happy Hour podcast recently uh, about commissioning in Ireland, and there just isn't a culture of it here, and it's something that mm-hmm. we want to change. There seems to be a culture of commissioning within even middle schools and high schools in the US, but what yeah. does what's what does it look like in Canada? It's definitely, it exists, um, but it is definitely less so than in America. I think um, there are more consortiums, so, or consortia, however you say that, uh, group commissioning projects that are a little bit more financially accessible for schools with smaller programs or smaller budgets um, to collectively contribute to the creation of a new work that they all have access to. I've done a couple of those within Canada and uh, institutions here seem to be a little bit more willing to jump on board something like that than they are to uh, fund the entire project single-handedly. Whereas I think in the US, there is a little bit more of a culture of a school individually can just commission a piece from a composer. And that's a pretty normal thing to take place. Um, when it does happen here in Canada, often the funding comes from a grant or comes from fundraising. Um, the The normal school budget, I would say in general, uh, does not allow for that kind of spending all in one place for one piece of music. Um, It does happen sometimes, you know, but I I think if I was working just in Canada, I don't think I would be able to sustain the, the life that I have right now. If I, if I didn't have the sales and the commissions that come from the U S. So how does Kate Nishimura and how does Dylan Maddox, uh, advocate for for bands, conductor, moving to Arizona, how do the two of you as a team work to try and make Canada more of a uh, a, a, a strong point for composers and, and a stronghold for composers? I oh, well, I'm curious to see what Dylan has oh, to say oh, here, oh, but <laughs> I will say that I I really have felt even before joining the Bandroom podcast as a co-host, I have always felt that this podcast um does a really good job of highlighting the work that is taking place within Canada and abroad, but I I think um being able to put Canadian leaders within the band community on the map globally to be able to showcase what they're doing. That's one of the one of the the mandates I think of this podcast even before I joined and uh, I think we both do everything that we can to promote and amplify the work that our Canadian colleagues are doing uh, amongst each other but also any time that we're working with people outside of Canada. Um, you know, I know Dylan, even in doing his his audition at ASU, chose Canadian music to to bring to the table, right? And things like that really do make a difference for those of us who are Canadian composers trying to kind of uh, increase our reach a little bit. So it it seems like a small action, um, you know, to to choose a Canadian piece to do on an American audition or something, but it really does make a difference because then that that panel, maybe they haven't heard of that composer or they haven't heard of that piece and now they have, right? So everybody is able to, I think, take individual action to contribute to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, um, 
I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to say this without uh, sounding <laughs> offensive to my my fellow Canadians. But I think we're we're very here in Canada. We're very good at promoting each other to each other. Yes. <laughs> um, but it seems like whenever we you know, when we talk about wind band music, we're talking about to Kelly, we're talking about Ms. Lanka, we're talking about all of, and I'm not saying that they're not great. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, certainly, you know, we have Howard Cable, we have Kate, we have EKR Hamill, we have uh, Kenley Christofferson, we have, you know, we have lots of people too, that are, are really great, but maybe um, in a way didn't make it past certain filters. Um, yeah. So, and I, and I, it, maybe I shouldn't admit this on a podcast, but I do it in a way of not going, hey, everyone, here's a Canadian. Do you see the Canadian? Um, so I try not to do that. And I'm like, here's a really great composer. Here's a really great conductor. Here's a great music educator who happens to be Canadian. Um, and so uh, so I think that that's an important thing to do because, uh, you know, y'all don't do it <laughs> in, in, in the states you don't go i'm an american comp-. no you're a composer yeah uh, and you're a composer of, of great music um so i think if once we begin leading with that and that's what mm-hmm. i we try to do on the podcast um you know maybe maybe more names get out and 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 th- those kind of things um but yeah but certainly that that has been a, a, a really important mandate a kind of a top secret mandate on the band room podcast has been promoting canadian music and and our people and professionals and yeah because I, I know Kate and I are, are just so grateful and and blessed for the people that we've gotten to work with as students and and really want the whole world to know about how fantastic mm-hmm. they are and all yeah. that stuff well let's talk about the podcast um and that was certainly one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was you know there is um an explosion of podcasts um you know all over the world and in every sort of community and industry um you know um I know of you know, a huge amount of uh, bus uh, operator uh, podcasts that have started because I work in tourism a little bit these days. Um, I don't know. I've never listened to one of them. I don't know what they talk about, but, you know, I know of of quite a few of them that have started just here in Ireland. Um, So there's a huge amount of podcasts um, out there now. And for any podcast to have any sort of longevity, it has to have a mandate. It has to have a purpose and a mission. what would you say, and I know you've already more or less sort of spoken to this um, to a point, but what would you say the overall mission of the Band Room podcast is, um, both before Kate came came on board, and then maybe, Kate, you could talk a little bit about what the mission is now um, mm-hmm. moving forward. Um, hmm. hmm. Uh, I, I would say, uh, you know, we talked about sharing music in the, in the first season and then in the interview, uh, starting it to interview people. And I find, you know, on a weekly to monthly basis, Kate and I get a message from someone who was inspired by an episode or by some story. Um, and I think for us and the podcast, uh, Kate and I are very lucky to have a bit of a casual uh, entertaining feel and make things sound fun. Um, but certainly um, having someone like I'll use my my future teacher as an example, so having someone like Dr. Jason Kassler come on the podcast and talk about a time that he completely fell on his face and had to get back up um, is a really powerful, powerful, powerful tool. In 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 when when someone hears that, realizing that oh, someone that I greatly look up to that I thought was perfect <laughs> and did no wrong messed up just like I did, and you know they got back up and learned from that. And I'm certainly I could go on for hours about how I I I've I am the definition of the f word failure. 
uh, and how, you know, not letting it define you and all that stuff. Um, but certainly I think that is a, a really strong um, mandate of the, of the podcast, just being able to see yourself in others and being able to realize that you can, you can do as cliche as that sounds. Um, and then certainly now it's, it's changed a bit. And, and Kate and I talked at nauseum about this when we were first talking about um, getting together, but really using this platform for good and not just talking about, like, I really like talking about band music, but like, why do we do it? Like, why do we teach? Why do we play? Um, and, and the, the idea of, of diversifying and to make sure that all are included is something we talk about on every single episode. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll let Kate talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's actually, it's a really good segue into what I was going to talk about, which is just that, um, you know, as a kid and as, as a, a young person pursuing music, it was rare for me personally to see myself in the people that I looked up to, into the, into the people that were uh, in leadership roles in the field. I never played music by a person who looked like me. I never saw a name that was like mine on my sheet music as in the composer spot, you know, and I never heard, uh, you know, a radio host or a TV show host or anything like that uh, from somebody with, with a voice like mine, a perspective like mine, a face like mine, you know, and that it didn't occur to me at the time how important that was, but the older I get and the more um, observant I become about society, the more important it becomes to me uh, to to change that. And so, part of of my joining this this podcast project was wanting to be that voice for other people, wanting to set an example to other. Uh, girls who are interested in composing but don't know if they really have permission to do it because they haven't heard from somebody who's doing it or other uh, people of color who maybe don't see themselves represented in in the the classical music world you know and I know it's just an audio only podcast but people can see our faces you know when they go to the website and social media and things like that and so part of it yes is is the guests that we bring on to share their perspectives with our listeners uh, and amplify the work that they're doing. But it, I, I mean, I, I feel slightly selfish for saying this, but it's also partly just me and, and the role that I play as somebody a little bit different uh, being in the spotlight once a week to, you know, uh, to use that platform to show other people what's possible. And I, I think that, um, that's not a reason in itself to do something just, you know, oh, well, I'm going to do something different for the sake of doing something different or, you know, uh, tokenism is is not the way to achieve diversity here. But I think it's important just to to point out that um, Dylan could have chosen anybody. You know, there are a lot of a lot of really well-established uh, composers and, and people in the band fields that that would have filled this role as well. But I think this particular partnership, we have so much to to offer collectively, I think it's it's a project that personally I'm very proud to be part of, uh, and I think that that is a sign that, you know, in the big picture, this is a long term thing. We're going to be able to accomplish a lot with this. Mm -hmm. And if I if I can add one bit to that, um, it's it's also, um, yeah, like like Kate said, it's it's great for her to mention these things. 
but also for for me as someone who's you know a white guy <laughs> um to also be vulnerable about my own biases in front of everyone uh and to say how important it is to realize that uh, i have clearly been in many years been very mindless when it comes to programming, when it comes to things I'm saying in rehearsals, when it comes to those kind of things. And like, we're going to talk to someone this week about exactly this. And mm -hmm. it, even through doing research, I'm like, oh, there's stuff that I'm not even thinking about when it, when it comes to poverty, when it comes to anyway, those kind of things. So certainly um, uh, having having my voice as well, talk about these things, I think helps us a, a little bit as well, not to take anything away from what, what Kate just said, but no, but just to, to set an example for other people who maybe identify more with you, Dylan, than they do with me, to hear somebody else in that kind of position say, look, I, I am still learning. I'm a professor of music, but I'm still learning. There are still things, that gaps in, in my own perspective, right? I think having two people from different perspectives to really hit that home, I think, I think that strengthens our mission. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly certainly I've been able to identify with you Dylan quite a number of times where you've said hey, I wasn't even thinking about this particular yeah. issue and, and and this could be problematic uh, and and I can uh, I know the fir very first time that I met Jodie Blackshaw uh, was when she was um, uh, talking about the Colorful Music Project mm -hmm. and and I'm almost ashamed to say now that's only three years ago I had already established a national wind ensemble here in, in Ireland I had never thought of this as a problem. I, I thought that I was selecting great music and that was the music that was being put in front of me by various different websites and I just wasn't digging deep. And, mm -hmm. you know, I had only ever programmed one female composer. I hadn't even, I hadn't even thought about it until, you know, talking to Jody and, and then looking at it and going, yeah, I've only ever programmed Julie Giroux. Um, and, and so uh, I, I think having both perspectives and I, and I really, I have to say, I love the dynamic that you both have on the show together. Now it seemed to be almost instant, uh, Dylan, I loved the show beforehand. I, I, I mean, really I did, but it's it, <laughs> the, the dynamic man. that you both have together. Um, and that contrast while still having a huge, you know, you come from the same place uh, mm -hmm. as well, but you um, you you have a great dynamic between you. Um, I want to maybe touch a little bit on 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 the the challenge though, um, Kate, of um, you know something like a podcast like this. Podcasts by their nature tend to be uh, us educators or composers or directors talking to each other quite a bit, and that's certainly important. And it's certainly important that we're going to be uh, sort of educating each other and you know, sharing perspectives. But how do you think we can use these platforms? And this is, you know, certainly a, a challenge that I have set out for myself for the, for the future too. How do we use those platforms to maybe talk to those students? Um, uh, you know, are students downloading our podcast? Well, I mean, maybe. Uh, but how do we maybe use these platforms to talk more to those students, do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, it's something definitely worth... Um thinking about even that that gives me an idea, you know, for Dylan and I to talk a little bit more, just the two of us about what we can be doing, because I think there are some students, especially post-secondary students, you know, college and university students that are thinking about 
becoming music educators or composers themselves. And uh, there, there are definitely people of that demographic who are listening. But I think that many of the podcast episodes, especially with, you know, for our podcast, certainly, uh, but others as well, that would be really great as educational tools, especially now thinking about being in the pandemic, a lot of uh, remote learning is taking place. Think about how awesome it would be for a teacher to choose an episode and then listen to it with their class and or, or even listen to part of it with their class and use that as a starting point to have some conversations about some of the topics that we speak about on the podcast, right? I think that's one way because if teachers are listening to the podcast, um, then they can take it upon themselves to, to choose to use that as a resource. Uh, but perhaps we all, not just Dylan and myself, but all of us that are that are creating uh, podcasts, perhaps we can be a little bit more intentional about marketing it. Uh, that sounds all businessy and fancy, but just you know, <laughs> trying trying to promote it to uh, to younger listeners as well uh, to to let them know, look, these are the people who are going to be your colleagues if you end up joining us in this community, in this world. And these are the people that you look up to, you know, these wonderful conductors at the universities where many of these students might plan to audition, to go to school, like listen to the podcast so that you can hear what it is that they're looking for in prospective students, or you can hear their own, uh, as Dylan mentioned, failures, you know, so, so that we can kind of humanize these people that maybe students are seeing as idols and and people like that. So um, I definitely think there's there's so much potential to uh, shape new perspectives in listeners of all ages and all experience levels. Um, but it's a it's a good reminder. Maybe we have to be a little bit more intentional to to reach some of those audiences for sure. Mm -hmm. Dylan, is this something that you've considered over the the three iterations of the of the show? Um, you know, talking to students, talking to younger people through your podcasts, uh, or is that an audience that sort of is uh, too difficult to maybe reach sometimes with these platforms? Um, yeah, I, I, like you mentioned, I, I think our our main audience is is going to be music teachers, is going to be post secondary, you know, wind band people. Um, but, uh, one thing that I tried to make a point of doing and, and almost, I get messages almost weekly about, oh, you should interview these people. And I really love their, you know, legends in the Canadian band world, but I think it's important for us if we want to promote to young people to also promote young people. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we have like, uh, maybe if I use, uh, this week's example, Sarah, uh, Sarah Salima and they're a, a music educator around our age. Kate, can I share our age? Yeah. Okay. So Kate and I are both um, those lazy millennials. We're uh, <laughs> born in ni we're ninety one babies, so we're you know we're turning thirty this year. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh! You know, but we're quite young. Um, and then also uh, Sarah is also quite you know exactly yeah, kind of around yeah. our age, but has a wonderful wealth of of uh, knowledge and is doing uh, wonderful things in Winnipeg uh, when it comes to diversity and 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 and, and uh, using and talking about gender and all that stuff in, in uh, their teaching. So uh, certainly promoting that is an important thing. Um, and Kate was mentioning about, you know, students using this as a, a kind of a learning tool in, in class, sorry, teachers using it in the, as a learning tool in classes. And that's part of the reason we, we have the a once a month 
um, we have what's called the sectional series. So we will interview a performer. So it does, it ha they might not be involved in band at all, but they're definitely a high level performer. We talk about their path, maybe through band or maybe not. And just, you know, what we can take um, from that, from, you know, a saxophonist, from a tuba player is coming up um, and those kind of things and apply it to our, our students, certainly. Uh, but what we're doing in the classroom. And I, I f that's another thing that we're really good at in the band world. We're really good at talking to band people. <laughs> and, and then we kind of put ourselves into this bubble um, not realizing that, oh yeah, they're, you know, music, music. That's why we do it. We don't do it as a band. We do it because of great music. We do it because we need to get out what's in here through our instrument. And maybe band is the medium that we chose, but to really try to, you know, put an arm out of the bubble once in a while and pull someone <laughs> in is, is a wonderful thing that I, I, we're trying to do. And, you know, it's, it's always so easy because I, I know Keith, I know we just met, but I love you, man. I love my band people. I love yeah. them. And, and it's, it's really easy for us, us to just preach to the choir, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, totally, totally agree that we need to uh, begin thinking about how we can expand um, mm -hmm. that and, and get to people who, you know, aren't diehard band geeks. When I ask this question, I, I sort of feel like that meme of Steve Buscemi with his uh, dressed as a teenager with "Hail Young Kids" <laughs> music band T-shirt. Because I'm a little bit older than you guys, so uh, trying to get into that, I'm I'm on the the elder millennial, uh, elder millennial, elder millennial, the zenial yeah. as they call them. Um, so uh, you know, trying to connect with with students, but I know it's it's you know, younger people and bands here, I want to give them a perspective on what band looks like outside of Ireland, you know, and mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that, that's important. Um, well, we've, we've talked a little bit about, about your podcast, uh, but both of you, uh, in order to uh, have started a podcast, Dylan, I know Kate, you said on a previous episode that you love listening to podcasts. What would some of your favorite, uh, both band and non-band podcasts be? Kate, do you maybe want to start with us? Sure. Um, well, the Band Room podcast used to be my favorite band podcast. Well, I mean, it's, it still is, but I feel like I, I can't choose that, you know, because I'm part of it now. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've been a guest on a number of other band podcasts. And, and through that process, I've really enjoyed listening to episodes with other people that I've met before and people that I don't know. Um, you know, podcasts like Everything Band, um, there's one called band in Minnesota, which is seemingly so specific, but, uh, the, the topics that they talk about with their guests have been so universal and really interesting. Um, so those are a couple of band ones. I won't list them all because I'm sure I want to leave some for Dylan to say that he likes <laughs> to listen to as well. Um, but I've really been enjoying two other podcasts recently that are not band related at all, but I'll just mention them because I, I think they've been so valuable. Um, one is called The Secret Life of Canada. This is a CBC podcast. Uh, it's a his history-based uh, podcast. And, you know, it's it's hosted by two wonderful people. And I think hearing a podcast hosted by two people who are friends really kind of gave me an example of what I could do if I joined Dylan in this adventure. Uh, they take a look at aspects of Canadian history that most people don't know about. And they share this information through stories and through very candid, casual conversation. So I find that to be really, really cool. And the other one is called Sounds Japanese Canadian to Me. And this is a podcast that's put on through the Nikkei Center, which is in, in British Columbia. And as a Japanese Canadian, it has been 
so like life affirming, I think, to just hear stories from other people like me. Um, and I think that is their goal, you know, for that podcast is is to reach people who can identify with some of these stories and issues. So those are two of my favorites that I've been enjoying a lot recently. Dylan? Oh. Um, well, this is a good question because this is actually going to be part of my research is to put together all of all of us that are doing this and, and to put it in, in a paper. So I just, I got my phone out here and I was just <laughs> looking at who, look, look, that's kind of there fully, defines, <laughs> fully <laughs> defines who I subscribe to. And I know that was useless for a podcast, but um, <laughs> if, if you were to see what I just showed them, the global band room is there. Um, but certainly, yeah, no, I've really enjoyed, and I'm not just saying this because we're on it. I really have enjoyed uh, listening to, to your, your podcast and the perspective. And, and cause like you said, like, I, I don't know anything about music making in Ireland. You know, that's where my great grandparents are from. And I know nothing about the motherland. What the heck? <laughs> so, uh, so, so that it's, it's been really cool to hear um, not only the podcast, but that the happy hour, um, like last week, whenever you were talking and, and um, you had uh, an Irish composer was on Vince, Vincent Kennedy. Yeah. And he was, and he was talking about how, you know, composers take your folk music and arrange it <laughs> rather than composers in Ireland doing it. I'm like, right. I've never even thought of that. But um, so, so yeah, so I've really been enjoying this. Um, and and band wise, you know, we have to uh, pay homage to the godfather of uh, band podcasts, Mark Connor. Uh, and I, everything band is, you know, yeah. he kind of started a lot of this. And, and I always uh, enjoyed listening to his guests. And there's just so many wonderful episodes. Um, and certainly band in Minnesota is one that I've been listening to a lot. And one that I don't think many people know about, and it's um, a project that one of our guests, Kenley Christofferson, did. It's called Band Together. So he actually, part of his master's um, project at Brandon University in, uh, where's Brandon? Manitoba, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did this uh, series of, um, I think it's six episodes or seven episodes, um, and, and just ex examining um, and talking to music teachers about band culture. Uh, and asking them the exact same questions, but hearing the perspectives of what makes up their band culture has been really inspirational. It's, it's a mm -hmm. great podcast to listen to. Uh, and then, you know, non-music wise, oh, actually, Ictus as well. That's a new one, Ictus. Uh, mm -hmm. where they, um, oh, who's, who's the host of that? Lisa Tatum. Um, and she, and she's, she interviews a lot of conductors and some really big names, and that's been a great one to listen to as well. Um, and then not music wise, I am, I love listening to comedians talk about comedy. And I think there's a lot of relation to what we do in music. So I'm obsessed with Conan O'Brien needs a friend. That's awesome. Love it. <laughs> and then uh, probably my favorite podcast is Armchair Expert, by, mm. uh, hosted by Dax Shepard and Monica Padman. Um, yeah. And, and that kind of goes into what we do in the, the band room, just showing that we're all human and talking about that yeah. and being okay with it, you know, to a certain point, there's certain things I probably won't be vulnerable about people, but you know, just the, the, the messiness of being human and, mm -hmm. and, and being okay and talking about that and having fun about with it as well. So those are, those are a couple that I really have enjoyed listening to lately. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I will mention one band podcast that I've only just become aware of recently. Uh, if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about the history of the, uh, as we call them here, the troubles in Ireland between Northern Ireland and, and the South and the UK, um, th there's a recent podcast that's been made called Made to Parade. Uh, and mm. it is about the political bands um, and, and the, the, the 
um, purpose behind many of the bands, flute bands, accordion bands, all marching bands um, that uh, existed, that have existed for many years up in, in Northern Ireland. Um, and it's really well put together. Some very, very um, uh, tough conversations that happen on it. Mm-hmm. Most of these bands have transitioned to be just great community bands now doing some amazing teaching. And if we look at, you know, Sir James Galway, uh, as being an example of one of the products of of these bands, you know, one of these mm-hmm. flute marching flute yeah. bands. Um, there's a history of great flute playing in, in in the north of Ireland because of these bands. So they've done great work, but there is uh, a political purpose behind the existence, or at least the political history behind many of these bands. Mm-hmm. So for anyone that's listening out there, we're talking about podcasts now. If you're interested in bands, if you're Irish, if you're not Irish, Made to Parade is a great podcast to listen to um, a lot of history in there as well. So um, you mentioned the repertoire happy hour, uh, Dylan. Uh, I'm trying to promote it as much as I possibly can. Uh, I mean, if you're already downloading this stream, that's where it is because I'm just throwing all of my content into the one stream these days. I'm going to have to do something about that. Uh, But our last show was all about nature. And we had Vincent Kennedy, we had Gail Brechting, as I have every month, and we had Andrew Traxel from the uh, uh, Lone Star Wind Orchestra. Um, I'd like to talk to you guys about some of your favorite pieces uh, that are about nature. Uh, Maybe if you wanted to mention two or three pieces. And Kate, of course, I want to talk to you about what your favorite pieces are about nature, because a lot of your work is actually inspired by that. But maybe we'll start with Dylan first on this. Would you have a a couple of pieces at any grade level that you would... uh, Uh, program Hmm. for a concert about nature yeah nature maybe i'll I'll do what vincent did he 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 talked about trains (laughs) so uh, (laughs) uh, yeah but i i think the first one and it's one that you if you listen to the band room podcast you hear it every week and it has nothing to do with nature at all (laughs) it's called called skyline and it's by uh my dear friend uh ekr hamill aka Evan Hamill, um, who's a, a Toronto-based composer, um, and that, that's kind of a grade five piece yeah. that you know has been played by our national honor ensembles here in Canada and university ensembles. And it, it, it's on our national syllabus, though. Um, so certainly that's a great piece. That's actually the piece I use for my ASU audition. Um, that's a great one. Certainly anything by Alex Shapiro. <laughs> um, I, I just think it, the opportunities that she gives our musicians to explore uh, sonically are, are very, very excellent and and not not intimidating, because I think often when we think of new music, when we think of uh, contemporary music, we're thinking of I can't read it. I don't know what that rhythm is. <laughs> but for Alex to to make it um, understandable for as we as you talked about at the beginning, Keith, uh, junior high bands and doing those kind of things. Um, so maybe passages is a recent one uh, of hers that I've I've enjoyed for adaptable. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones now. Oh man, you put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe Kate, maybe you, Kate, you can talk a little bit about your um, inspiration and you know taking um, uh, taking uh, inspiration from nature to write your music and maybe maybe talk about one or two pieces that have inspired you by by other composers too. Sure. Yeah. So everybody who knows me knows that nature is my biggest inspiration and is my favorite thing outside of music. Um, You know, going on hikes and visiting uh, provincial parks, national parks, that kind of thing. My, My favorite way to generate new ideas is 
by doing so outside. I like to put myself in a place that I haven't been before, even if it's a park that I've been to, to try to take a different path, a different trail, you know, to put myself in a new kind of environment um, and then try to reflect, represent my experience with a landscape, with a, a physical place through sound, through music. That's my favorite way to create is is by um you know being being influenced and inspired by the environment and just recently i've started to really put a lot more of my personal um priorities into my work in the sense of uh donating income from the sales of pieces about the environment to charitable charitable organizations uh that support that kind of work so many of my pieces now benefit the Nature Conservancy of Canada, for example. And that's my way of saying, not only am I inspired by nature, but I am so driven by this that I want my work to actually come back around full circle and contribute to the preservation and conservation of the environment and education as well, teaching others about the importance of the environment. So that's, that's basically why I do what I do from a non-musical perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I don't just write about music or about nature because it's pretty or because, mm -hmm. you know, I like it, but also to encourage others to reflect on their own personal relationships with their surroundings. So that's very, very important to me. Uh, Alex Shapiro is my number one inspiration of a composer who just really connects her own worldview and her own priorities with the work that she creates. She sets that example for me and so many others. Uh, the, my favorite piece by her is called Immersion, and it's an electroacoustic work that is about whale song. There's, there's actual uh, you know, recordings of, of whales in the background of the uh, electronic track. Uh, but a couple of pieces that I'll just mention that I've really enjoyed. I'm going to pick a theme here. <laughs> I have a I have a piece called Lake Superior Suite, and uh, it came to my attention a, a few years ago that I am not the first composer to write band music about Lake Superior. Uh, this is the largest freshwater lake in the world, and so it makes a lot of sense that other uh, nature-minded composers like me uh, would would choose to write music about this. So uh, a friend of mine, Erin Perrine, has a piece called Pale Blue on Deep. And uh, that was the first band piece that I listened to that was inspired by Lake Superior uh, after I had written mine. And uh, he's a Minnesota-based composer. And another Minnesota-based composer, Catherine Bergman, has a piece called over wild solitude and it is also about lake superior so i have this dream of curating a concert of all pieces that were inspired by this same body of water because cool. you could really take a look at what each composer's individual voice brings to the table when you're comparing pieces that are about the same well or inspired by the same uh, place, you know, looking at the same body of water from different geographical points. I, I'm fascinated by stuff like that. So those are two pieces that I, I've really loved. Consider that Very idea cool. stolen. 
go for it, Dylan. <laughs> I, I'm going to get there for us on the repertoire happy hour. So uh, <laughs> I know I now have my theme for April. Uh, there you go. <laughs> well, listen, it's been absolutely great. And Minnesota has got a great shout out from you today, Kate, uh, between the podcast and the composers. Um, they were the, some of my uh, earliest supporters when I first started composing full time. So. And Jerry Lucar comes to Canada quite a bit to work mm -hmm. with uh, conducting symposiums and things. Yeah. Very cool. Well, yeah. it's been absolutely brilliant having the two of you um, on the show. Um, and if you, if anyone hasn't actually downloaded or subscribed to the uh, Bandroom podcast yet, they need to absolutely do that. But let's find out how they can find out more about the podcast and more about you guys. Dylan, maybe you want to start sure. first? Yeah. Well, uh, here's the regular spiel. Uh, <laughs> you can find us wherever you find fine podcasts like the global bandroom so apple podcast spotify all that stuff you can find us just by searching uh bandroom podcast uh, we have a website bandroompod.com where we have um certainly all our episodes and various other recommended podcasts that we listen to um are there and maybe we actually have a bandroom bookshelf of books that that uh are we find in well, so far i find inspirational i realize i'm the only one who's contributed to it um so yeah so but there's lots of other things there on, on the website that you can check out um including our newsletter and then uh, on any social media uh facebook twitter instagram just by searching at bandroom pod you can find us there where we post lots of fun stuff and uh mm -hmm. we also have a patreon that has you know your bonus episodes but um uh, which and some uh, extra bonus content which is cool to check out um and you can find that all on the website but, but yeah very, very good and kate where can people find out more about your compositions and your your work well, thank you for the opportunity to plug my own work here. Uh, anybody who's interested in taking a look at what I've been doing can go to my website, which is katenishimura.com. You can also find me on social media at composer Kate, uh, composer underscore Kate, C-A-I-T, um, where I like to post, you know, sneak previews of pieces that I'm working on and videos of beautiful places that I'm visiting and cute photos of my cats. Those are basically the topics that you're gonna get. You're gonna get music in progress, nature stuff, cat stuff. <laughs> yes. Like and subscri subscribe, everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and I have to, I'm gonna do a, a bit of a plug. If, if we're not enough for you folks to come check out the band room, in the beginning of May, we're gonna have the great, the amazing Keith Kelly on our podcast. Yes. So you get to learn about the man, the mystery. That is Keith Kelly. <laughs> I haven't been interviewed like this before, so this is going to be oh, this is going to be it's going to be great. We're very excited. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, guys, uh, for, for again for joining me today. Um, it's been great. So, from as I said, from one band room to the to the next, let's stay in touch and uh, yeah. best of luck with everything over the next twelve months. And uh, I'm sure your guests in May are going to be amazing. <laughs> yes, thanks. <laughs> thank thanks, you for guys. having us. So thank you so much to Dylan and Kate for joining me on the podcast this week. I hope that you really enjoyed listening to them. And as they said, you can hear more from them on the Bandroom podcast. So make sure you go over to uh, your favorite podcaster and subscribe to them too. I'll be back next week talking to more great guests from around the band world. So head to wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you subscribe. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with me on Facebook and Instagram at Global Bandroom and on our website, globalbandroom.com. So until then, stay safe and I'll see you back in the band room. <laughs>